Good morning, church. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. Turn in your devices however you get there, but Matthew chapter 20. A woman drove her car onto the ferry that had traveled between Victoria and Vancouver, Canada. And before she got out of the car, she gathered her purse, her umbrella, her newspaper, and a snackable-sized bag of Oreos. Well, she made her way to the ferry lounge area, which was crowded. But she finally found the table over in the corner, sat her stuff on it, and sat herself down, opened up her paper, and began to read it. Well, she'd been reading five or ten minutes when a young man who was goth-dressed came up, joined her. She didn't notice that until she dropped her paper because he said, Ma'am, can I sit at your table? And she looked over the corner of her paper, and uh, she looked around the room and saw that there were no seats and said, Sure. Went back to reading her paper. Well, in a few moments, she was shocked when she heard what she thought was someone opening up a young, someone opening up a young, opening up a bag of, of something and eating it. She pulled down the corner of her paper, and he was eating her Oreos. Well, at first, she didn't know what to say about that, like any of us, I guess, but she watched him down a couple of them, and and she realized, well, there's not that many of them. I better help myself now. So she went and she grabbed one and put it in her mouth and said, hmm, put her paper back up and went to reading. Well, he kept munching down on the Oreos, and, and then finally she put the back, and she said, okay, I'm going to run out. I'm going to get one now before I run out here. And so she reached over, gets one more, pulls it out, puts it in her mouth, to which he looks into the bag and says, well, there's two left. How about you get one and I get one? And handed her the bag. Well, that's all she could handle. Closed her paper, grabbed her umbrella, grabbed her purse, and headed back to go sit in her car till her ferry got to the other side of the river. She opened up the front door and was horrified when there laying in her driver's seat was her bag of Oreos. Most of us get angry when someone takes what we're entitled to. But something else is also true if we're honest. And that is we also get a little miffed when others enjoy something. We don't feel like they are entitled to. Jesus highlights his struggle when he tells a parable in the story that we're going to look at this morning. And a parable just simply this. It's a fictional story to make a practical point. And Jesus used those often to try to teach us truths he wanted us to remember. One such parable made such an impression on one of his disciples. He said, i got to include that in my eyewitness account of this man's life. And so he did. Matthew writes in what we call the 20th chapter of his eyewitness account, and he starts off this way. Jesus said, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a day's wages, and he sent them into his vineyard. Now about nine in the morning he went out again and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And so he told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever's right. And so they went. He went out again at noon and then at three in the afternoon and did the same thing. And then at about five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around and he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because nobody's hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Before we go any further with the story, let's stop and pray. Father, I just want to start by saying thank you for pursuing us. Thank you for coming to us and finding us and welcoming us into your kingdom, into your family. We don't deserve that, but we've we've come together in force to join our voices, to join our hearts, to join our prayers in saying two words, thank you. Now, we're not the only ones who are doing that today. We recognize that, and so we we join Faith Christian. We pray for them and what's going on in their services. They, too, would 
have their hearts knit to ours so that as, as one body here in Kerrville, Texas, we could make an influence in this community for good. And we, uh, we need your Holy Spirit's help to do that. So would you help us? In Christ's name we pray and everyone said. So we're clear on the terms of the story. The landowner's God. The vineyard is God's kingdom. It's church. And the workers are us. Now, the metaphor of a vineyard that Jesus uses here in his story may be lost on some of us because we haven't been around vineyards. Maybe none of us, or some of us, have not been at one at all. Well, that's beginning to change in our hill country, isn't it? Because for the last eight years, winemakers and wine sellers have been inundating this part of the world. And so you've seen vineyards probably more than maybe you ever have in your life. But vineyards were everywhere in and around Jesus' day. And his audience would have had an immediate connection with this story. And uniquely right now, in Israel, in his day, this time in September, landowners would be making their way to a place called the Agora. It was the marketplace. It was the center of town where commerce took place. And wealthy landowners would often travel there looking for workers, day workers, to come and help them pick grapes in their vineyards. Now, that's not a highly skilled labor. Um, And so you didn't have your most skilled, your most capable people who would be day workers coming to the Agora to find work. Most of them had a skill set that was limited. Most of them didn't have another trade that they could market somewhere else. And so my first observation of this story is simply this. Aren't you glad that God recruits the people the world rejects? Amen? Notice Jesus makes the point that the landowner goes to the Agora not just once, not just twice, but five different times. So he's hiring people here that the previous landowners have overlooked. Uh, No, not you, not you, not you, not you, not you. Yeah, you. Five times they've had to endure that throughout the morning throughout the day, and I think that's worthy of noting. So please, hear this. Jesus is saying, even if you're not first pick on the team, not even second, not third, not fourth, not fifth, he wants you to be clear about this. He wants you on his team. He wants you on his team. Michael Murphy is your average American guy, but for 60 years he has had a not-so-average job. He's the equipment manager for the San Francisco Giants baseball team. For 60 years, it's been his job to make sure that the players on that team have cleats and towels and tape and gloves and bats, everything that they need in order to play baseball. He was in charge of all of those details. But for 52 years, the San Francisco Giants hadn't won a World Series until 2010. They broke that streak then. And I love this. The owner of the team handpicks Michael Murphy to be the one who has presented the World Series trophy first, and then he would present it to the team. He didn't pick the manager, didn't pick the MVP, he picked Michael because he wanted someone who was behind the scenes that no one noticed often to receive the trophy first and then to hand it to the team. Now I pulled that story out of my illustration file because I just love the fact that that's so much like God. And I for one am thrilled that he picked me to be on this team. Regardless of who you are in the room and regardless of how prominent you are in this room, I can promise you this, in this celebrity enamored society of ours, every single one of us can be overlooked and probably has been. But God refuses to allow any of us to be marked by this word, reject. Now you can settle for that if you want to, but he chooses to mark your name in contrast with a very different word, and it's this word, recruit. God wants it to be very clear through this parable, through this fictional story that has a very practical point. I recruit you and you and you 
and you and you and you and you to be on my team. Not because I have to, but because I want to. That's his choice. He doesn't have to at all. And sometimes I think that's lost. You're still not convinced of it? Here's Gordon McDonald. Some of you may know his name, but most of you may not know that he was seconds away from never being heard of in leadership circles or Christian circles. When he was 16 years old, he wanted to hear Billy Graham preach when Billy was at Madison Square Garden in New York City. The tickets were a bit pricey. He grew up in a bit of a poor family. And so he snuck in the back door of the garden and attempted to hide out until the services began. Well, a security guard spots him, cuffs him, and tells him, you are out of here, son. And as he being, he's being led out of the facility when a man walks out of his dressing room, and it happens to be Cliff Barrows. He's the worship leader. He's the Raymond Schultz for Billy Graham. And he comes out of the dressing room, and he sees what's unfolding and says, hey, what's going on? Well, the officer explains what's just taken place. Mr. Burroughs said, well, if I'm responsible for this young man for the remainder of the evening, could you place him in my care? <laughs> the officer said, that would save me a ton of paperwork. He's yours. Mr. Burroughs in after the officer left, turned to Gordon and said, what do you say? You sit on the stage with me and Billy tonight. And Gordon did. And that night, he gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. He went on to become a preaching minister, an author of several best-selling Christian books, and he became the president of Denver Seminary. How does that happen? Because we serve a God who specializes in recruiting those whom the world specializes in rejecting. That's why. I can tell some of you are still not convinced. Okay, here's three men. They represent a debate team at the worst penitentiary in the state of New York. It's home to some of the world's most dangerous murderers and robbers on the planet. And what I love about this photo is this is the debate team that beat the NCAA champions from Harvard in a debate. Prior to that, they knocked off West Point Military Academy and Brown. You name the university, and most likely these guys have beaten them. Now, how does that happen? Well, a lot of hard work and intelligence on the part of those three men, no doubt. But it started with some professors from Bard College in New York who saw them as recruits, not rejects. And that gives this reject some hope. What I love about the message that we are privileged to share with the world church is this, that even though you may think your felony conviction disqualifies you, even though you may think that your bad habits or your addictions disqualify you, even though you may think your non-existent education disqualifies you, whatever makes you feel unacceptable to others, I just want you to understand, makes you the most sought-after candidate for God's grace. Now, I wouldn't dare take my word for that, so I'll give you God's. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, here's what he says to you. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? He chose those nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. And that makes it quite clear that, one of you, that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Because everything that we have, the right thinking, the right living, a clean slate, a fresh start, all of that comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. Yay, God! <laughs> Yay, God, that that didn't hinge on me and my performance. But Him and His performance. Or I don't stand a chance. I just don't. Every single day, this God of the universe moves into the worst situations and the worst environments looking for the most unlikely people that he can invite to the most unimaginable life. Which is why the brother of Jesus said this, God chose the world's down and outs as the kingdom's first citizens with full rights 
and privileges. Again, don't take my word for it. Listen to God's. I don't know about you, brother, but I am thrilled that I have a dad like that. I'm thrilled that I have a God who recruits those that the world rejects. Back to our story. Here we go. Jesus didn't stop here. He says, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and then going up to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each one received a full day's wage. So, when those came who were first, they expected, they thought they were entitled to more. But each one of them also received a day's wage. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired the last, work, last hour worked only one hour. And you've made them equal to us, they said, who've borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But the landowner answered them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a day's wage? Take your pay and go. I want, I want to give the one who was hired at the last the same as I gave you. So don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? This brings me to the second observation that I want to make. It's not going to be easy to hear, so let me warn you up front for those of us who are American Christians. Here's the observation. The more gratitude that we have, the less entitlement we'll have. Let me say that again. The more gratitude that we have, the less entitlement we'll have. Now, you wouldn't think that the followers of Jesus would struggle with a sense of entitlement. But we do, especially those of us, and I'll say it again, who are American Christians, who have so much... Because when your sense of entitlement is greater than your sense of gratitude, what you're going to do is begin to believe things that just aren't true. And so it's important for me as your brother to remind you of this because I love you, all of you, and I want the world to experience the love of God through you. But they won't. Please hear me. They won't. If you continually see yourself as better than other people. And we're all tempted to do that. Brother, the only thing that you bring to the salvation table... The only thing that you bring to the adoption of God's table, listen to me, is sin and death. That's all. None of us are going to do God a favor by saying yes to Him. So it's important for us to remove from our vocabulary two words, and here they are. I deserve. I'm entitled to. Listen to me, on my best day, I deserve hell. On my best day, I'm entitled to being separated from God forever. On my best day. Because God's goodness and mercy is the only thing that I, I can say allows me to call Him Dad and allows me to get to be in His heaven. He chooses to give me what I didn't deserve. His grace, His stunning, amazing grace is the only, the only ticket for me when it comes to eternal life. And this is the point of Jesus' parable. And this is the point of what Matthew writes about. And in light of that, the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In all circumstances, be grateful. In all circumstances, be grateful for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let me say it again. Church, my life was headed in a way that was far from God. But it was tracking in a place that I couldn't turn around by myself. No, it's only because of the grace of the vineyard owner that I'm here. I feel the same way that Joni Erickson Tata feels. You know the story. I've shared it here from this stage before. She was paralyzed at the age of 16 in a diving accident, yet she is one of the most grateful people you'll ever listen to or ever meet. She's one of the most recognized ambassadors of Jesus literally the world over. And if Jesus has a first string, I guarantee you she's on it. She was asked once, what will be the first thing that you say to Jesus when you see him? And I love her response. The first thing I'll do when I get my new legs, she said, is to drop to my knees and to worship the Jesus who saved me from the pit. 
Church, when your level of gratitude is up here, your sense of entitlement is going to be down here. How do we live this? Here's a strategy I'm going to lay before us for the next seven days. Just seven days. Number one, love God completely. What do I mean by that? More specifically, I want to say in your prayer time this week, I know there's a lot of things you could say, but could we for seven days just thank Him? <laughs> for seven days. Not ask Him for anything. The Scripture already says He knows what you need before you ask Him. But how about we thank Him for everything that we have, for this salvation that He's graced us with, for the food we're going to eat today, because there's some sons and daughters of His that aren't going to eat, for the bed you're going to sleep in tonight, because there's some sons and daughters that are going to sleep on the dirt, and not because they're camping, because that's all they've got. Love God completely this week by thanking Him. Number two, love yourself correctly. What do I mean by that? It's why we have this meal called the Lord's Supper at the end of our messages now. Because we need on a weekly basis to be reminded, because we forget. God says, I choose you clearest at a cross. I choose you. God got some skin on him just like you've got. Came into our world, into this mess of ours that was messier than anything that we're going through with this COVID stuff and partisan stuff and all messier than that. Came and got in it with us lived a sinless, perfect life so He could get on a cross for us. And He died a death He didn't deserve so that you could have a heaven you don't deserve, friend. And if you've not received that yet, my encouragement is love yourself completely, correctly. By believing that, by embracing that, you don't need designer clothes. You, you can be clothed in Christ. You don't need a bigger house. There's this mansion He's preparing for us that, that makes anything that we have here pale in comparison. Just pale. You are so much more richer than you could ever imagine if you're in Christ. So please, love God completely, love yourself correctly, and then lastly, love others compassionately. Please, just choose one person this week. One person that you'll go and do something surprising for. Would, would, would just shock them that you're there doing this for them. It doesn't have to be huge. It could be small. On Wednesday night in our Love Does class, we're, we've got some love work. It's not homework. Nobody likes homework. So we're doing love work, okay? And this is the first week of the class, and our first assignment is get two balloons. Go find someone who would just be, would smile. That's all you want to get out of them is a smile. Hand them a balloon and give them another one that they can give to someone else. Now, is that going to end world hunger? Probably not. But it definitely could end a bad day for someone and some loneliness for someone. And it's just a start. Church, so many people in our world have been dinged and discouraged and damaged. And the God of the universe has given us a fairly simple assignment. Receive my love wholeheartedly and then give it away as wholeheartedly as you can. To especially those, listen to me, who you might deem not entitled to receive it. Because Jesus did that for every single one of you here in this room. None of us were entitled. None of us were deserving. And he loved us anyways. So... Jesus shows us to love up, live in, and love out. He was one who example that, and he's calling us to it. Thank you for your son, Jesus, that makes any of this possible. We have come this morning to praise him, to honor him, and to say again two words. Thank you. In his name we pray, and everyone said.